Good evening, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we welcome back our friend, Lore Sworn's TJ Hafer. Hello. We've also got uh, Chief Thoracic Specialist, Rowan Kaiser, for VentureBeat, uh, joining us one more time. I don't even know what that is, but thank you. <laughs> uh, so, here at the start of the year, we're going to do our traditional sort of uh, end of year roundup. We're going to be talking about the year that was and strategy games and what some of our highlights were uh, and what some of our lowlights were and what games that maybe we still need to get around to or give another look uh, or or give a, give a fairer shake. Uh, and my answer for that one might surprise you. Uh, so... You know, Rowan, let's let's start with you uh, because you wrote up a very handy list. Just overall, you know, there's been a lot of talk that 2017 in general was a very good year for games. Uh, did that translate to it being a great year for strategy games? It was a great year for strategy games in terms of variety. We got all kinds of different games, most of which were quite good. We didn't have, like, the superstar oh my god, I can't believe this is so great that 2017 was for, like, you know, your open-world action-adventure types or your general mainstream games. I think that was 2016 when we had Total Warhammer come out of nowhere and Darkest Dungeon and a bunch of other great things. This this year was a lot more of, like, a consolidation of that, uh, plus, you know, a bunch of really interesting, maybe not quite perfect games. So I think this year is broad, but not necessarily one that we're going to be talking about as one of the truly great years for strategy games, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, it was a, I think it was a pretty damn good year for strategy games. It's just that 2016 was so stacked. Like, I think it's exactly what Rowan just said. Like, I think 2016 will probably go down as, like, one of the great years in games. And so 2017 did feel a little bit underwhelming. In comparison to that, um, you know, we we didn't we don't have when I was actually putting together my list for like what are my favorite games of this year, like I did not have a clear winner. Whereas last year, like I was agonizing between like three or four different games that I felt like were all just paragons of their you know subgenres, and and this year it was like you know I I can't really think of one game that. I would say, yeah, for sure, this is in Game of the Year contention. They were all kind of in that, like, that next league down. Um, so it was it was kind of, I don't know that there were a lot of games that came out in 2017 that would have competed for a spot on the list in 2016. So, for me, this is the year of, like, <laughs> to, to a degree, it's, Games that I would have expected I I would be more into than I actually was. <laughs> uh, that was kind of the recurring theme of this year. And I think some of that is about me, right? Like, I mean, this is part of the reason maybe this, this year felt a little bit flat for me is just because it was such a disrupted year uh, with, you know, moving cross country and then just a variety of improbable catastrophes uh this fall <laughs> uh made it really difficult to sort of get invested in a uh strategy game like in strategy games the way i often do and have in, in previous years uh so i don't think it's an accident that like xcom 2 war of the chosen uh kind of 
you know, w- like for me, it was my favorite strategy game of the year uh, and kind of won it in a walk in part because I think it was a game that agreed with where my life was at really, really well, <laughs> right? Like it was. So your life was an alien dystopia. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 Rowan. It's, I did not say it's thematically resonant uh, this year. Although, to be fair, this the, actually it does feel like it's been kind of an alien dystopia of late. Uh, but no, it's more. XCOM Two has a really good rhythm, right? You go, you do a little bit of your meta game stuff, and then you go fight a mission, and you can do that, and then you you're you're dumped back out and in, in into uh, you know the rest of this burning hellscape uh, of a year. Um, <laughs> and then you quit the game, and <laughs> right. Uh, but I think setting that game aside, I think there are a lot of, there were a lot of things that I was really looking forward to that just didn't land with me as much as I thought they would. And so I think that was kind of one of my recurring frustrations of, uh, you know, 2017 is my heart was open. I was ready to love. Um, but a lot of the things that I was looking forward to sinking my teeth into for some reason didn't really hold my interest as much as I was expecting. I think that's also your job. You have like a full-time mainstream game site uh, job now instead of being able to be a freelance strategy games focused or, you know, totally something else focused but now you have people who have probably been guilt tripping you for not having played zelda for nine months you know (laughs) that's that's true (laughs) uh speaking of which did any of us uh the switch is going to be one of our blind spots for 2017 right like i just got a switch Uh, i got mine like mid late december yeah so i've I've played some zelda and some mario was that uh, was that a way of saying i got it for christmas was that I I got it I got it before got Christmas around December twenty yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah we we all got switches for Christmas okay. we all ended up getting them yeah around the same time which is pretty pretty funny yeah I'm really looking forward to that as a strategy platform in 2018 uh, and I look forward to us finally doing our Mario and Rabbit show uh, yeah but yeah. I am just really excited that there's going to be like it's a really convenient. Uh, you know, surprisingly powerful uh, portable platform, and I am looking forward to, uh, you know, playing a lot of Darkest Dungeon on it, for instance. Yeah. Um, I don't think I can. I don't think I can make. Well, I'll probably end up making this case for Stardew Valley being some kind of absurd strategy game, uh, just because I'll. I might want to do a show on it, so I'll. So I'll stretch that definition. I'd support that. I support that. But it is, but like playing that game a lot in the past week has sort of shown me that, like, yeah, actually, you can, you know, you can get pretty caught up in a little management game uh, on the Switch and, uh, you know, just sort of always have it with you in your bag. And uh, that's, there are a lot of games that I would really like in that format. I, I do think that's a trend that showed up this year is that a lot of these games are either console ready or came out specifically on console. Uh, Tooth and Tail is probably the biggest example of that beyond like Mario plus Rabbids. Uh, but I think there's a lot of things that people are kind of leaning towards. You know, we could probably actually get this on console all right. And the Switch might be a really good gateway for that, especially for the smaller games. Well, and my uh, understanding from talking to some developers is that, and this is both uh, exciting, but maybe a little ominous as well. 
it sort of sounds like the Switch is where uh, the App Store was in the early days of the iPad, where it's like a hot new platform for certain types of games. And right now, it's very, very good to be in that store. And, um, you know, like, like with anything else, that's probably, that probably has a window that will close, right? Like probably eventually the, the, the Nintendo eShop or whatever is going to be the same unsearchable, you know, shit show that, that steam is, uh, but, (laughs) but for now, uh, it's, it's a good platform to be designing, to, to be designing for, uh, if, if you're making a, uh, you know, strategy or management game. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to play XCOM on the Switch. I think that would actually be a great fit. Um, I still don't think I'll ever want, or anyone has ever gotten it right so far, like RTS or like Grand Strategy with a controller, but anything turn-based. Like, you could put any turn-based game on, on this list that we're looking at on Switch, and I'd probably play it on Switch. Yeah, yeah, I probably I probably would as well. Uh, so that's definitely something I'm looking forward to uh next year so let's talk about some of the um some of the surprise misses uh for you before we get into stuff we really loved uh what you know what were what were either disappointments or things that just left you feeling underwhelmed or things you were really looking forward to all year that just didn't uh deliver what you were expecting i'm just kind of curious what the year's um you know sort of low lights were for you um, my biggest one might actually be the two pieces of DLC that came out for Hearts of Iron 4. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they were really, they really pushed the game forward in the way that we generally expect Paradox DLC, or at least some, some Paradox DLC. You know, they weren't, they weren't in that Art of War category. They were both kind of more in the, like, Res Publica category, where they added a couple kind of cool things, kind of, sort of, but I didn't feel like, I don't feel like Hearts of Iron really became a different game in 2017 than it was in 2016. Most of the things that were wrong with it at the end of 2016 are still wrong with it at the end of 2017, which... What's the current based- stat of, status of the air battle? They've the the air stuff has gotten a fairly nice rework, at least in terms of being able to keep track of what's going on. Um, I still don't really understand the underlying mechanics that well. I still don't really feel like I understand, you know, when I change the maneuverability stat of a of a you know close air support, you know, yet <laughs> to be plane, fair, like what that actually does. Nobody um, in charge of the war effort really understood this either. True. True. Uh, um. And it looks like 2017 might be Hearts of Iron 4's year um, because the the expansion they're working on right now, it is like game changing on an Art of War level. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. But in terms of 20, 2017, I don't think it really evolved. You didn't want to be a Balkan Warlord? You know, I played through it once as uh, doing the, the Habsburg reunification right. weird path with Hungary. And, and I just felt like past a certain point like every country kind of feels the same like you get to a certain point where you know you you have your industry built up and you have your division set up the way you want and it's like all right um i'm just starting operation barbarossa from a different epicenter than i normally would be at this point so you know um 
I, I still enjoy Hearts of Iron 4. I just feel like the two expansions it got this year were probably two of the most underwhelming uh, Paradox Development Studio expansions that have, have come out recently. I mean, I liked, you know, getting a getting the opportunity to focus on Austria or whatever. Not Austria, but uh, anyone around Austria is not Austria. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, those are not countries that I would necessarily have played, but as a pre member of the press, you know, I can ask for a code and get this if I was, like, rapidly anticipating the Hearts of Iron 4 expansion and spending money on it, then I might have been a little more disappointed. But, yeah, I do think that there was kind of a lack of uh, major movement on Hearts of Iron 4. Uh, it's still, you know, a lot of fun to play, but uh, we know that we have certain expectations from Paradox, and that's that they fix all their games immediately. No, every three months they fix all their games. <laughs> uh, Ron, in terms of uh, sort of letdowns for you, is it, did anything sort of leap out? Um, I think we've talked about this three or four times yeah. on the show already. Yeah. But, uh... Tell me, what do you, how do you feel about single-player campaigns and war games, Rowan? Let me have it. <laughs> Uh, Ultimate General Civil War is my dream game that was developed to not be my dream game. Uh, like, when I found out that the, basically the person behind Ultimate General Gettysburg was making a bunch of Civil War battles, I and all of us were really, really excited. Um, and then it came out in early access late in 2016, and, uh, it had a bunch of those battles, and it was pretty neat, but... In addition to like finishing off the number of battles in the Civil War, it also just decided to go in the direction of trying to uh, make a meta campaign that strung the battles together without any kind of geography, which just like pushes me away, away immediately. Like if I can't fight a battle, I'm not going to like be forced to fight it in the campaign. It's not. It's not what generalship is, you know. Uh, and general it sure isn't trying to set an ambush for an armored ironclad train in 1861. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there are also a bunch of fictional battles that were just kind of there to string the campaign together. And it's like, why not have, you know, the Battle of Fort Donaldson or a real battle? I don't, it, uh, it also never got multiplayer, which is uh, seemed very Are you well sure? Maybe we should for. get a thread together on that and... Try yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go dig that up. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I really enjoyed a lot of it. I enjoyed play Chancellorsville and Chickamauga, especially. I think those are probably the two best battles it has. Uh, but it, I wish that it had been given multiplayer and like design of battles in varied forms of the way that we talked about Sid Meier's Gettysburg having multiple times yeah. and Ultimate General Gettysburg having, as opposed to kind of the same battle every time in different phases. Um, but instead it went with a campaign to add variety. And that was just, that was disappointing on a personal level. I know some people have played it and enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I still like and recommend the game in general. It just went from my dream game to, yeah, this is pretty good. Okay. A little better than pretty good, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'm, I think I'm with you. It did, the campaign didn't bother me as much, but I agree that, 
I might have liked it better if it was sort of like a linear, you know, going from famous battle to famous battle and then have each of those battles have multiple scenarios like how Gettysburg, the original Ultimate General Gettysburg was set up. Um, I really liked that kind of like branching depending on how well you did on the first day. Granted, not every battle is as long as Gettysburg. Not every major Civil War battle would allow you to do something, you know, of that nature. Um, but I think it is a it is a better game. I didn't hate the campaign, but it is a better game if you're just fighting the battles than if you're playing in the campaign mode. Yeah, it's it's a strange thing of like it's it's a very strange thing to have been like completely on board of the project at its origination with which was Ultimate General Gettysburg. And then I think we all saw like the track we thought it would take. And it went in a very different direction. And it's it's strange. Like, I don't think, like, Ultimate General Civil War is the game, uh, you know, Nick and the rest of that team set out to, set out to make. Uh, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the thing they wanted to do. Uh, it just stopped being the thing that I wanted it uh, to be. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, yeah, that was a, that was a strange experience of, like, I think it was in some ways more more grating and frustrating because it sometimes felt so close to being like exactly what I wanted that like the daylight between the two just drove me insane. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I just I couldn't I couldn't quite uh, sort of sort of drop it. Um, so this is I'm just gonna I'm just gonna fess up to this right now. Uh. For me, Total Warhammer 2 is one of the misses. Now, I say this, like, I know for certain I have not put enough time into Total Warhammer 2 to uh, really deliver a final verdict. Um, and I think one of the things I did this year, I kind of screwed myself. I played so much Total Warhammer 1 uh, <laughs> that by the time 2 came along, I'd kind of gotten my fill of that design basically like i was i was good i was kind of set um because I, I just we we just done a show on all the various dlcs and like the sort of the state of the very good state of uh total war warhammer one warhammer uh total warhammer 2 comes along and it just felt a little too much like more of the same and i definitely did not love uh, a lot of the meta campaign elements to it. Uh, and so I just, I couldn't, like, I it, I could not maintain my interest enough in that game to really, like, drill down and see what made it special or, or set it apart. And that is, you know... So 180 degrees from the reaction a lot of a lot of the people that I respect are, have had to that game, uh, but it's it's just one of those weird. This was not the year for me in Total Warhammer Two. Uh, maybe in twenty maybe 2018 I'll do I'll repeat what happened with the uh, first game and I'll get caught up. But I just I couldn't playing it so closely on the heels of Total War Warhammer One and uh, you know uh, Norska and all that. Uh, I just couldn't get myself worked up for Total Warhammer 2. Did did you play Mortal Empires at all, or did you just play the Vortex campaign? No, so, no, because Mortal Empires... What's the state of that right now? Because 
what it was kind of kept it, like my understanding of it kept changing and then it came out and then the last impression i got was that basically they were like well that's half baked and we promised yeah, we'll fix no, it, it was, eventually at, at, at launch it was super broken it's in a lot better shape now it's it still has further to go but it's definitely very playable um i i mean i can say i haven't wanted to reinstall warhammer one you know because i have access to mortal empires um I don't know if it's skipping too far ahead, but Warhammer 2 was my game of yeah. the year, so we, we definitely disagree on on uh, that one in general. But uh, um, I don't know. Should we just talk about Warhammer 2 now or wait until no, we we're look, going over highlights? Or? Let the celebrations I mean, it's probably begin. The, it's okay. probably the biggest, the biggest game of the year. So we should yeah. be starting with that is not a bad idea. And and to be fair, like I said, there aren't a lot of games in, that came out in 2017 that would have been in strong contention for my 2016 list. And I do include Warhammer 2 in that. Like, Warhammer 2 would not have been, like, the hands-down victor if it was mm -hmm. competing against all the games that came out last year. Um, but, yeah, I really enjoyed... Um, I really did like the campaign uh, mechanics in the Vortex where it was more narrative and it's more like it, it felt like something to be experienced once or maybe, you know, two or three times with different factions. And then Mortal Empires is going to be the infinitely replayable sandbox. Um, the way it turned out for me, um, finishing that campaign, I felt like I had like just the right amount of pressure on me. Like it was the first time that I felt like the end game of a total war game was the most challenging part as opposed to it being you know mopping up the last couple minor factions that you need for your dip um difficulty or victory condition is the word i was looking for um i just really like the armies that came with it i think that we didn't have anything in warhammer one that was equivalent to like the high elves or the skaven and they kind of brought to the table a a play style that was missing from that roster previously so i it's it's definitely more accurate to say that warhammer total war warhammer franchise was my game of the year because if you just bought warhammer 2 and just have access to those four factions and that one campaign and not mortal empires i'm not sure that it it would have ranked as highly with me as it did um but definitely, since they've fixed some of the chaos stuff in Mortal Empires, I think that's probably the most fun I had playing a strategy campaign this year, is just conquering across the entirety of this giant world full of all these diverse factions. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's still got some kinks to work out. It still is missing some of the things that made the Warhammer 1 campaign map feel like a living ecosystem. But, you know... All things said, when you bring in, like, the interface changes, which I thought were pretty significant, I, I really like the interface in Warhammer 2 a lot better than Warhammer 1. And, um, you know, the, the, the bigger map, the greater scope of enemies that you can fight and more the combinations. Agents. Yeah, yeah, the way they've they've finally kind of fixed agents uh, after, after all this time is, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, it's sort of interesting to me the way that Total Warhammer 2 was kind of received so rapturously 
uh, because I expected Total Warhammer 1 to get that, because after the disaster of Rome 2 specifically, and I was not, like, fully on board with Attila like uh, some of you were, uh, like, Total Warhammer 1 was a revelation to me, like, right out of the gate. Um, and then all of the add-ons, you know, made it really good as well, but it was, uh, I was just actually excited to play a Total War game for the first time in, like, five years when it came out. Um, so I was kind of expecting more of a backlash with Total Warhammer 2 because it felt a lot more like an expansion than a full game. Uh, but people seemed to be really excited about it because it was, I think, the set of good feelings that they had for all of what Total Warhammer 1 had become and then Warhammer 2, uh, comes out and kind of consolidates and refines those in uh, a very good way. Like I didn't, I didn't dislike the game about halfway between you guys. I think uh, it just uh, didn't seem to me to be like the most exciting new incarnation of it. I liked a lot of the little tweaks. I like the idea of modal empires. I don't think that it's there yet. It, although I might have missed a patch, but uh, I. I, I tried to play as the Greenskins in uh, the Mortal Empires campaign, and it was exactly the same as playing the Greenskins in Total Warhammer 1. I was not getting a whole lot of interaction with uh, the various different factions on the map that I thought I could have. Uh, I guess I did have a few more fights with the Undead, but other than that, it was pretty much exactly the same. So, I feel like I've... I've I'm having the reaction that other people had with Total Warhammer 1, where they thought, okay, this is a pretty good start, let's see where it goes, where I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then now I'm the one saying, you know, let's see where Total Warhammer 2 goes. This time next year we might think that it's, you know, one of the best games around, but... Uh... Yeah, I do wonder how I would have received it had I not just gone through and like sort of reconsidered the state of total war one like because I, I i suspect maybe if you checked in on total war uh warhammer uh one at launch and then sort of compared the two the state of the two games at launch uh it would be like night and day but sort of the really polished uh you know heavily added on to version of uh total war one uh, warhammer one uh and then uh two at launch was a little less uh, you know, over overwhelming for me. I think my 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 recurrent problem the, the the vortex structure didn't really do a whole lot for me. Uh, that um, it was a useful framing device, but it just th it, like didn't really resonate uh, with me in terms of. Who did you play as? So I was playing as uh, Lothurn, uh, high elves. Okay, and everyone told me like, look, they're they're milk toast. Uh, they're they're boring <laughs> ass like elvish elves, um, and that all the really interesting faction design is happening elsewhere. Uh, so that's probably where I need to go. The other objection I had was I, I I would actually say it's the reverse. I really like their armies, like they they play how I feel a total Warhammer game should play. But up the strategic map, they have an island. Like it's just yeah, but yep, here's your kind island. Of everyone has like like islands or small continents right like a lot like a lot of that map feels really atomized to me it, it, well, to some extent yes but there's still usually a rival on those um 
where the high elves don't even get yeah, that. Yeah, but I think this is kind of what I was missing is like in the campaign map of the first game, there's a lot of uh, weird shit that can happen, right? Like maybe this time the vampires are just going to go berserk and they're going to basically dominate everything, uh, maybe. And yeah, yeah, there's like certain geographic affinities uh, that mean the map can only bend in certain ways and, uh, you know, certain powers can only rise and fall in certain areas. Uh, but nevertheless, like, it felt to me like, ah, this is kind of what I want from a Total War Warhammer game, right? It's this ridiculous battle royale, uh, all these different, uh, you know, fantasy armies marching back and forth across this wasteland, uh, you know, kicking each other's asses. Great. Uh, Warhammer 2, it just, it kind of felt like, uh, yeah, every faction kind of have their, you know, their denoted rival. Uh, and then much later, maybe you'll maybe it opens up a bit. Uh, and it felt like I don't know. It felt like I was sort of struggling against the geography of the uh, map to have the total the the Warhammer experience that I wanted. Yeah, it, it seems to me like uh, there's there's kind of two categories of people that I've talked with about this game, and the people who look at the vortex as more of a sort of narrative side campaign had a much more positive impression of it than people who looked at it as sort of the sandbox that Mortal Empires is and that the default Total War Warhammer 1 campaign is. And I think that if you go into it with the idea that it's going to be kind of a one-and-done story campaign, I think it actually works a lot better then if you if you look at it as like, oh yeah, this is the vortex, and this is, you know, I'm gonna play this over and over and over again to see all the different possibilities. I mean, there's really only four. There's high elves win, dark elves win, <laughs> Skaven win, or, you know, the lizards win, based on who finishes the vortex first. Like that's the whole thing and everything else is kind of ancillary to that. I guess we'll see when they implement the Tomb Kings if that changes, because I guess they're gonna have a separate objective that's not related to the vortex on that map. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it in the same way that I would enjoy, you know, like the Caesar in Gaul campaign, which was one of the highlights. One of the only highlights of Rome two for me was, <laughs> were some of those smaller story campaigns that I think were pretty well put together. Um, but the vortex is definitely not as good of an, open-ended total war sandbox campaign as the total war one map or as you know what what mortal empires is striving for and is making progress towards being so now that we've made tj uh back down from his pick <laughs> uh rowan uh what was what was one of your major highlights this year uh well my pick i basically had a five-way tie for my strategy game of the year uh total warhammer 2 was one of them but it was probably the least interesting of them um but the one that i came down on was uh steel division normandy 44 which was uh eugen's uh successor to the war game series uh a world war ii game set in normandy 44 where it's kind of a real-time tactical battle for control of a single map there's no real overarching campaign it's just you know fighting over the same little highway junction over and over and it's awesome i love it uh we've we've uh we've done a, a show on it that we were so excited about it that we did a show on it before it even came out yeah which, is, <laughs> uh, which was something but my 
my impressions of it have not significantly changed that much uh it's it's feels like it gets both the the micro of world war ii yeah. and the macro of world war ii right you do it you're like bursting through with your armor following that up with infantry softening up with artillery um uh individual takes busting through hedgerows but there's also the grander story of you know this is going to get you the um the offensive uh success that you need to drive the nazis back uh but yeah it it seem to be the least abstracted war game that i've ever really thought was also a really good game yeah um so that that was the one that i ended up coming down on for my game of the year though i could i could be swayed even still oh yeah it was it was the, and that was my number two in terms of strategy games was was steel division um my favorite game to play in multiplayer this year, which I think it should be played in multiplayer or at least with bots, as I think has been discussed on this this show before. The one v one is not that great. I really liked the the phase system um, that you know you you have to start out with you know smaller, more agile troops, and then the big guns come in later. And the fact that it was such a game of inches. Um, it it gave me some very interesting kind of conclude, conclusions to battles where I decided to, you know, give up ground on one flank because I knew that if my enemy had committed so many resources there, I might be able to push them yeah. on the left just a little bit further than they pushed me on the right. And then I would, you know, and ultimately end up with more victory points, which is something that I hadn't really... I hadn't really had that exact experience in a strategy game before. Um, and just how it makes recon so important and it makes you know, knowing and predicting what your enemy's going to do so important. You have to have spotters for your, your bigger guns. Uh, I really like the, the interplay that happened there. It's like any bigger than this, you would have to go to like an ab super abstract level like Hearts of Iron this is like the largest scale that you could actually have real time tactical World War Two battles with, you know, giving commands to individual squads and, and vehicles. And I liked that they they hit that mark pretty perfectly. Uh, so I think Steel Division is a game I've come away admiring more than I love. And that is entirely down to uh, Steel Division just relentlessly humbled and humiliated me. Uh, this year, like, <laughs> there's that too. Like, I think with Steel Division, it feels like if you've ever played piano, right, but you haven't practiced in a while, like the way your fingers can get like you know tangled up or tied up, like you just do not have uh, the dexterity or the muscle memory uh, to do what you need to do. You know what you need to do, but you're just not. You're just not executing it uh, well enough. Not you're not you're not playing everything uh, in, in sync. Um, with Steel Division, as opposed to the War Game series, it really does feel like a game. I mean, all Usions games are kind of like this, but like Steel Division requires really superb coordination of different combat arms basically right like the smoke needs to fall in the right place and the units need to advance perfectly in time with the build of the smoke to close the distance to the objective whatever you need to you need to bring these things together effectively because like if all those things fire together 
you're just, you know, <laughs> you're just a rolling storm of steel, right? Like, you know, you're, it's all mm-hmm. going beautifully. If you mistime it, it is a tragic comedy of like one force <laughs> after another just getting like blown apart by its counter uh, as it blunders into the kill zone. Uh, so you really need to get this stuff right. Um, and I don't. <laughs> I just I don't do it often <laughs> enough. And so like Steel Division is often there like being like, man, do you suck at like, you know, coordinating artillery, armor, and air? Uh, and God help you if infantry are involved. Like if if a battle's taking place inside a city, you're just fucked. Um, that's kind of where I'm at with Steel Division. And I didn't get this feeling as much with uh, the War Game series. I think in part because the War Game series being about like. 1980s era technology and a lot of like instant kill guided munitions basically meant that um a lot of the game was about taking good positions and sort of standing pat and then really cautiously sort of probing one particular point on an enemy's de- enemy's defenses but you could you could quite successfully play that game uh you know sort of holding a pretty like passive defense posture in a lot of places and then dedicating all your focus to to one area uh that game is, does not work in steel division it, it might make it a more interesting game uh for doing that but it does mean that it is a it's a harder game for someone like me um but yeah, I, there's also uh, taking an infantry division and then just swarming it and turning everything into World War One. This is an entirely viable strategy. Unless... Yeah, yeah. No, I was gonna say like there's there's all this like if you're playing at the absolute highest level, there's all this coordination that can go on. But a lot of my favorite games of Steel Division were where I just decided to do something really dumb and see if it worked. And a lot of the times it did. Like you know, I'm just gonna. I'm going to push up really fast with, like, quick infantry and take some buildings and then just have, like, two deep of artillery trucks behind that and just, you know, see if I can blanket the space in front of me with fire and and sort of win that way. And sometimes you can because it's literally, you need to control 51% of the map to win a match. They're just some little refinements that I just, I, I love, just little touches. The animation of that freaking line that divides the battlefield in half. This push and pull. <laughs> there is such a tension built around that line because, like, uh-huh. if you haven't played the game, all the units exert sort of a uh, a, a a push on that line. So they like they exert an influence area, and if there's no opposing enemy influence in the area, then the line, then the then the quote unquote front line representing the territory each side controls, is a set distance from the, the from the from your nearest unit great but what that means is as two forces come closer and closer but haven't made contact yet you notice that line is moving closer and closer to the front edge of your own forces uh and there Mm -hmm. is such delicious tension in that because there are all these moments in steel division where basically you and the enemy are on top of each other like your units are like aren't pushing that line out at all somebody is literally just on the other side of that hedgerow, just on the other side of that building, around that quarter in that village. You don't know, but they are there. And that tension never goes... It's, it's such a great touch. It is such an example of, like, what an, like what a clever bit of, like, animation did to elevate uh, sort of their mechanical construction of their game. Uh, like, it's, it's, a really, it's a really neat thing. 
I love it. Well, and you can even use it tactically to some degree because if you if you open up a match and you see that there's one part of the enemy line that is pushing forward very quickly, you're like, oh, you know, they've got they've got some kind of motorized or armor over there. I need to get you know some some AT guns or something in that area, but I already deployed them this area of the map. So okay, that's gonna be. That's going to be a lost cause for now. I'll try to create a, a pocket in phase B or something and just hold what I can. But yeah, I, I, I really like that, that aspect of it where so much depends on, you know, knowing, knowing more about your opponent, about how an engagement is going to happen and being able to kind of dictate that, that even in a lot of, you know, highly tactical RTSs, I think, kind of miss out on that by giving each side so much information that it doesn't really become an issue. Um, so for, for me, like I already mentioned earlier, I loved War of the Chosen. Uh, and a big part of that, like, you know, as we discussed on the, on the show we did on it, like, I legitimately love a lot of the things that War of the Chosen introduces to XCOM, uh, not the least of which is apparently the entire cast of Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> uh, but the way that like it creates some sort of worthy adversaries that have like personality that is expressed both uh, you know in the campaign via dialogue, but also just in the way they fight and the sort of influence they exert on the battlefield is really, really cool to me. Uh, it generates a lot of really memorable uh, dramatic encounters in a way that the vanilla game did not. Uh, there's just a lot more happening in the world of XCOM 2 War of the Chosen than, than was happening in, in XCOM 2. But if we're boiling it down, I just really, like, I really wanted to love XCOM 2, and I just never did. I could not get into that game that much. War of the Chosen kind of addressed or at least papered over a lot of my complaints and made XCOM 2 like, oh, okay, this is now, like, unequivocally... My favorite XCOM. It's the best XCOM. Great. Glad we glad we cleared that up. I no longer have to feel this weird like uh, conflict between thinking that XCOM One is actually kind of a better game, but XCOM Two has more variety. Uh, no, it's it's like X like War of the Chosen is everything I wanted from uh, sort of a sequel to XCOM, uh, plus a lot of sort of new ideas and directions that I wasn't expecting. Uh, that don't work perfectly, but they work pretty damn well. And uh, you know, around that, around that tank of a of a core tactical game uh, that just that just works so damn well, uh, it it kind of that that kind of elevated the material. And so, like, it I, for me, it's not a, it's not a super exciting. Like, oh boy, you'll never believe what my favorite game is. Uh, not the objective is to surprise you, but like, uh, I hate being this obvious, right? But like, I love me some XCOM again. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the obvious choice this year has been Total Warhammer 2, so I think you're a little bit off the hook. That's, yeah, that's that's fair. So let's talk about just, um, let's see, any games that, any, did, were there any games that we found our views on shifting uh, over the course of the year? Like anything that, uh, like, for, you know, just an example, 
uh, you know, we did the Endless Space 2 show, and as I, I was expecting to really be excited to go back and see, like, how have they improved this game? You know, how have they, like, it was it was a strong start. Like, how did, uh, you know, how, how did it go from, from launch? And I was really taken aback by how poorly it had unfolded, uh, apparently. <laughs> and so Endless Space 2, kind of, it was weird. Like, in the spring, it went from being, like, one of my... Yeah, in the spring, it's definitely one of my favorite games of the year. Uh, at least it felt like it was heading in that direction, uh, you know, warts and all. Um, and then by, you know, late fall, I just completely cooled on it. Like, I no longer, like, I still had fun with it. I liked some of what was there, uh, but it just, like, it found its limits uh, way sooner than I thought it would. And it, it didn't, it, it does not yet seem capable of transcending them. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know that I'm ever gonna be able to, to really truly get excited about, you know, a moo like, <laughs> like Endless Space Two. Like, it, like I, I just, I haven't seen anyone do anything with that formula. That, I mean, it's no Stellaris, <laughs> uh, but uh, so I was, I was, I was expecting a stronger reaction from, uh, from Rowan on that one. So. You, you got a so. you got an eye roll. <laughs> well, we're on a podcast, all right. An eye roll is not going to we'll, translate to the we'll listeners. We'll get to Stellaris. We got okay. we got time in front of all us. Right. So okay, all new right. updates coming to Stellaris. That's one of our, the big highlights for twenty eighteen. Really excited to see yeah, what they do. They're, they're doing. I think we'll Art of good, Star Wars. Show. Yeah, art, <laughs> they're they're doing Art of Star Wars. They're redoing the entire warfare system. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like endless space, like it's it always feels like it's it's the same problem I had when there were like a million MOBAs coming out. It's like, you know, it's like Dota, but it's like League of Legends, but you know, Endless Space 2, it's it's like Master of Orion, but like they've They kind don't even of, have the butts in this genre though. I mean they've, it's they've just added Master of Orion. <laughs> it's I liked I liked kind of the effort they made at a political system in Endless Space 2. With where you have different parties that that give you access to different policies and stuff, yeah. but then the way that those parties come in and out of power, yeah, didn't make a lot of sense. It didn't feel like I had a lot of control over it. You end up um, being really railroaded into certain policies yeah. just because, like, well, you you discovered the secret of just guided missiles, and everyone's like, "Fuck, I yeah. love guided missiles. This is fantastic. <laughs> we need to, we need exactly. to launch them at some people." Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like this is this makes sense. You guys are you guys are making it sound like it's a functioning system. Because <laughs> if there's one well, thing we learned about 2017, it's that democracy uh, is awesome. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like I I, I I struggle to be excited about this type of game anymore. I mean, TJ's taken my way my statements yeah. like i don't know i don't know what like, my job is here right. now uh were there any games that like you found your views shifting up uh over the course of the year is there anything or or just anything on this list that you that you, you sort of want to single out about endless space 2 specifically <laughs> the i why are we still making master of orion 2 over and over again we could we can move on we could fix master of orion 3 we have the technology um Game that uh, my views, I don't know about shifted necessarily, but a game that we were pretty excited about and then discovered that maybe we were not necessarily uh, 
write about that was uh, Gettysburg The Tide Turns. Yeah. It was a neat little war game with a, a very cool central kind of conceit. Hell yeah, it was. Of, uh, Gorgeous presentation. Uh, well, it had a, it had a, a, a nice a nice map, uh, good presentation, uh, the way that units kind of folded in on one another when they like moved next to one another was just adorable and awesome. Uh, and the it had a very clever way of sort of modeling Civil War uh generalship um diversity of quality uh <laughs> which is to say that during the civil war people just fucked up all the time even the good generals um and in gettysburg the tide turns this is a, a turn-based game where one division or corps goes at a time and it basically modeled bad or very generalship by kind of board game like putting all the divisions chits into a thing shaking them up and whichever one came out is the one that gets to go so you know if uh ewell has the momentum then you will will go first is kind of the story that it's telling or you know someone's been holding their reynolds has been holding his troops in reserves that could counterattack at a certain point so that was a really neat idea and i thought there was a lot of promise there but it had massive massive bugs on multiplayer yeah. that i think perhaps prevented us from getting too deep into it and seeing that it wasn't extraordinarily deep. i think when I've we realized people we were playing who... two different games and had somehow yeah. managed to erase the one game we gotten working uh pretty much spelled the end for us in that game yeah and, and beyond that i think the people who did get a lot deeper into it uh found that it was like super unbalanced artillery just destroyed everything basically um which is kind of a problem uh but there was a lot of promise there and i would love to see you know patches and refinements yeah. and other battles uh well matrix put together but somebody put out a like there there was like some sturm and drong around the tide turns right tj like i feel like we were passing around like somewhere in the patch notes was was kind of a uh you know developer throwing the previous team under the bus uh kind of thing <laughs> I didn't actually. I didn't actually read that. Uh, so okay. Well, yeah. yeah. It was um, maybe it was you and you and me, Rowan. Uh, but yeah, about like there just being a lot of odd decisions in the early like foundational work of the tide turns that uh, the team that fit, that sort of carried the ball across the finish line uh, sort of struggled to address. No idea to what degree that's that's accurate. Uh, but it was sort of striking that like, uh, you know the dirty laundry is being aired like that well i mean remember like when we logged in sometimes the splash screen would show a different title for the game it was like oh that's battle cry of freedom that or something. is very true but there was something going on with that game that it was not quite right i i really like the ideas but uh yeah all right um tj you said you did have a good one yeah so, like, the game that my opinion about changed uh, the most over the course of 2017 was actually one of my top five favorite games of all time, Crusader Kings 2, um, because I finally came to the point where I published an article that said, it is time for this game to be over. Um, <laughs> it's time for Paradox to move on. Um, it was pretty much a complete game after Conclave, I don't know that I would call any of the expansions since then super essential. They've done some really good work on the interface and the free patches. I will give them that. 
Um, but most of the stuff that's been added to, to CK2 in the last year, maybe even year and a half, is like I would rather I would rather you guys be putting your resources into a sequel because I've talked to Henrik Ferreus, the the creator of Crusader Kings 2, about what are some things you want to do in a sequel, and every time you know it's been like that sounds great. When is this happening? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I I still play it. I still enjoy it. I don't want it to be deleted from Steam and from everyone's Steam library, like some people seem to think, um, after I published that article. But I don't think it really has anywhere else to go DLC-wise. I think they're kind of just treading water um, in terms of trying to add to it five years later. Uh, so I'd, I'd, I'd like them, I'd like them to move on. I'd like them to leave CK2 where it is and, you know, move on, focus on something else. I mean, let's give a round of applause for them making the attempt for six years, I think. Yeah. I'll, like, I'll <laughs> golf clap to that. A, yeah. It, it's a pretty astonishing string that, uh, you know, it, it kind of, maybe they ran out of momentum. Okay. Not quite six years yet. We're getting close. Got a, a month and a half. Paradox has really paradoxed the hell out of this, and I think that's. Uh... Well, I think it, it's it's kind of show that there is there is a boundary to how long you can you know infinitely expand on a grand strategy game with DLC after release. Like they've they try they tried the experiment. K, CK two was the the practice child for it, and they've kind of found where that boundary is. Um, at least with CK2, I feel like EU4 being designed from the ground up for the new DLC model could potentially have more longevity. I could see EU4 having meaningful DLC coming out, you know, release plus seven, eight years even, the way that they've been doing it. But CK2 was not really designed with that in mind. It was kind of designed with the old paradox model of we're going to do like two or three expansions and then move on to a sequel. Um, at least that's the impression I get. And, you know, I've already talked to death how they're trying to, to turn a car into a boat or turn right. a car into an airplane at this point. So, but this, this is really the year where I was like, all right, like, please stop grafting additional limbs onto my good friend, Crusader Kings two, And, uh, let let him kind of shamble off and and have have a, a rest in uh in his you know go bid the soldier Frankenstein's shoot. Yeah. yeah yeah exactly uh shall we do the the year in paradox since we're kind of there sure what what else do you want to uh cover there well since TJ brought it up we should probably talk about the Stellaris expansion Oh, that's right. That was uh, this year. Yeah, there were there were actually two Stellaris expansions this year. Well, there was one big one, well, one big one, and then a, a yeah a story pack. Yeah, which... Stellaris Utopia came out, which uh, was it would be facetious to say that it was an attempt to graft Civilization Five Civic System onto Stellaris. That's exactly what they did, though. <laughs> but what 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 it did is it provided a sort of uh, internal motivation for the player during the mid game, which is one of the big problems that Stellaris had initially was that there was literally no motivation whatsoever to do anything ever. Um, so this was a good thing. Uh, it, it sort of got you the ability to kind of customize your 
the way that you were trying to build your society beyond the sort of internal basis that you created them with initially um you you sort of were able to set yourself goals to become you know i'm going to become the the machine people or i'm going to become the like super genetically engineered people uh, and that was all that's all a very good thing for the game it just was not enough to make it feel like a complete game but it's getting there like I, I, I joked that my score went from a six to a seven, so they get two more of these, it'll go up to a nine, and you know, Stellaris will be the best game of twenty twenty. But uh <laughs> we got a little ways to go. I uh I'm also pretty happy with what I've seen of what the, the next big patch is doing. The cherry oh, yeah. update. Um they they listened to me and finally added a, a woman science fiction author as one of their updates, which is a good start. And uh, they're redoing redoing how warfare works, which is uh, well, I'm, necessary. I'm also surprised you didn't mention that Utopia was essentially the Babylon 5 expansion. No, the Babylon they... 5 expansion was the one with the uh, uh, that focused on the, like, ancient oh that's right that 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 stuff with the awakened empires that yes, actually came it. in in like the mini expansion before utopia i forgot about that yeah that was straight up the babylon 5 expansion they even used quotes from b5 yeah. in their like pop-ups uh, didn't did utopia add like some big other mid-game thing though i feel like they changed something with that i just don't remember oh yeah it was it was that they they added the new thing where if you're the psychic if you go the psychic path, you can basically invite chaos into the world, and they they end up killing everybody, um, which is kind of a cool end game event. If you are the the type of person who just wants to watch the whole world burn, I, and uh, I do, I just feel like they should add that before the end game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they they. I keep it, here's the weird thing. When uh, the first set of post-release Stellaris Dev Dyers were coming out, they were talking a lot about these colony events, these, like, mid-game spice-adding, you know, things that were, were supposed to get in at launch, but they got cut. And they've gone, like, dead silent about it since then. And I don't know if they just decided not to do them, um, but I'm still waiting. If anyone on the Stellaris team is listening to this, I'm still waiting to hear what happened to colony events and when those are going to be implemented. So, um, I mean, I think there's still this core issue that Stellaris has, which is that the way its economy works, where it dumps all the resources in to a single galactic uh, pot, means that your colonies are all totally undifferentiated and that makes it very difficult to get invested. God, space in is so bad. Ugh. <laughs> I mean, but space can be good. Like endless space too. Like your your planets, your your planetary regions can be like customized to, uh, to mean different still things kind of bad. at a level. That, it, they're still kind of bad, but Stellaris. It's I know. Like, I think they're I Stellaris think they're is like bad. deliberately bad. Nah, and I. I I need them to to come up with a with like some way of making my systems have Look, meaning beyond you know I'm losing ten resources if I lose this. System. Somebody is gonna crack this, 
and make a game that makes space geography like feel relevant and fun and cool. And on that day, that person will receive an open letter on Reddit explaining why it should be more <laughs> like the Master of Orion system. But uh, the rest of us will be really happy. Space you, should you be know, hard. That's the you want to know my prediction. My prediction for this is that we need a space game. Where space doesn't matter that much. I want I want a space game that's about the planets and what's going on on the planets because that's where interesting mm. shit happens. Sounds like right. you're ready to survive Not out in the Mars. void of space. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that's that's one that's on the horizon that but, that I'm looking at. But, but. Uh, I think TJ's right. Is you need something that kind of has um, the uniqueness of a planetary geography be actually something that matters because like endless space too as soon as you manage to successfully plant a colony in a system you own every planet in that system like it's not even just you own that planet mm -hmm. uh it's it's all yours now congratulations whereas like why not have a space game where there are five planets and 10 factions who are fighting over you know what those planets can do there can be like the an expanse of space system. games yeah yes. yeah uh we, we went over this in the endless space 2 podcast but and yeah, yeah. I, i'm gonna keep beating this drum like space should be hard yeah. so there should only be a very few viable colonization paths and when you once you establish that then you create interesting strategic decisions based on like do i go somewhere that nobody is that uh might be harder to do or do i fight over you know every inch of the earth-like planet that i can you know these things instead of okay sure yeah you can colonize any planet you want if you just click intern a few more times and like, then yeah, all the resources and wealth immediately go back to your collective pool well yeah and I still want, like, one of my dream space strategy experiences is I want to play a strategy game where I am the Tauri from Stargate SG-1. Like, I start out as this planetary empire who has, like, limited options, similar to, like, if you start as a native, you know, North American native in EU-4, and then aliens show up, and I've got to figure out how I can quickly adapt their technology so that they don't overrun my entire planet and, you know push my species into servitude or irrelevance like i want to have that experience in a strategy game and i think that the only way to really do that would be to have a game with you know fewer planets where the planets are have you know, are more subdivided and matter more and the interesting stuff takes place on the planets more so or at least equal to the amount that it takes place in space So speaking of somebody will get it right. <laughs> uh speaking of space, um I ended up kind of falling in love with Battlestar Deadlock uh a little more than I thought I would like we did the show on it and I was like, okay, that's cool, I'm done with it. Like I think I've seen what, what there is to see there. And then like a week or so later I went back to it and I just kind of kept playing. Um and it's a weird it's a, it's it's a weird case where like I don't take back anything I said. Like you know the the game is what it is. It just turns out I like it much more than I thought I did. It's like, you know, man, there's all these limitations and there's all these ways it doesn't really get at what I loved about Battlestar Galactica. Uh and yet here I am, uh just happily sort of plowing through it uh much like I do parts of season 4. 
Um, <laughs> you know, this is this is what I'm here for, I guess. Uh, I think I would really love it if this game got a sequel. Uh, in particular, uh, I would love to see just the AI get a little bit better and stop eating so many long-range torpedoes uh, without even trying to get out of their path. Uh, I- you know, Rob, wanting the AI to be a little better is how we got into this mess. <laughs> that's, that's a very good point. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I I didn't go back to it. Like, after after I wrote the review, like, I didn't really feel any desire to go back to it. It kind of faded into the background for me. And Do you generally like naval war sims? Yeah, I mean, normally I, I do really, I do like naval war sims. I don't know if maybe it's just when you bring the three-dimensionality into it and all the all the little considerations. I get I, sometimes when I was in a larger battle, I just kind of felt, it felt mentally exhausting on some level. Um, like I was, I was having to micromanage so many different things on, you know, so many different planes that, that I had a good time and I, I felt it felt fulfilling when I won, but like I, I wasn't really looking forward to the next battle that much because it's, it's just so much to process. I guess I like it better when I've got my nice 2d plane and, you know, I'm figuring out wind direction instead of, you know, all of these, this little minutia in this 3d space that, you know, game a game like Homeworld does a good job of giving me tools to manage that, and I don't think that Deadlock did as much. And maybe it just needs, you know, some interface tune-ups and some better, um, just some some better tools to to make the the combat not seem so overwhelming and like so much of a kind of information dump. Yeah, I think there is a sort of tension in the system they built where it could feel like you have to micromanage everything or you are just kind of clicking in turn sometimes like it it sort of flips between the two uh it's definitely not a perfect game but uh you know the battlestar galactica experience i want is people saying dreda's contact over and over and i got (laughs) i I got all the dreda's contact i wanted (laughs) See, I, I wanted to have to have, you know, Lee be in a courtroom uh, advocating for... Okay, yeah. You know, the flit... You no, want the courtroom, that, that's, that's, Look, you know what? I, I will stand the, by the... The Battlestar Galactica visual novel. Uh, yeah, I'd be into that. Um, they just go full banner <laughs> Dream side, Daddy yeah. BSG, here we go. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I would... Uh, uh, Romo, Romo Lampkin. <laughs> yeah, I would totally date him. Uh, anyway... <laughs> uh, Let's see. Uh, a couple things I just wanted to touch on. Um, uh, well, if we're talking about games that we kept going back to, yeah. I think we haven't mentioned one of our favorites here, which is Battle Brothers. Mm-hmm. And I know that after we did the show on that one, uh, we were all like, yeah, we kind of have a good feeling about this. We know what Battle Brothers is like. And then for the next week, I just kept seeing Steam pop-ups of, you know, so-and-so is doing Battle Brothers. We're all doing Battle Brothers still. Uh, it says one of the most promising of the XCOM likes, or uh, what did I, what did I settle down with? I thought you, I thought you liked the XCOM <laughs> likes term. Did, did you feel? Do you felt you felt you coined no, something? No, better? I wanted to get away from it. Okay, because I, uh, you know, I don't want to use the single name of the game in okay. the term because we don't want to end up with a Metroidvania situation. Right. Yeah. Uh, 
but I keep forgetting the 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 term that I came up with, which is uh, kind of ruins that. Um, no, but yeah, it's uh, very clever little on the cheap medieval mercenary company simulator that uh, I actually found for the first time with one of these. I think worked best as an Iron Man mode. Yeah. Uh, because I'm not sure there was, you know, that strong of an end game, but trying to rebuild that company over and over was really, really intense. And uh, getting your people's arms hacked off and their eyes put out and seeing that on their cute little faces was always a rush. <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun, like, when you'd be able to kit out your best soldiers and the best gear, and it really meant something, because, like, man, if this person gets brain damaged, uh, they're going to be... Uh, you know, they're they're kind of be capped where they're at, and we can't can't have that because I need them to continue skilling up really rapidly uh, to replace the three guys that died last <laughs> week. Uh, yeah, it was it, it did make a lot of stuff resonant. Um, you know, I said like I just I like the 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 tone of some of the the, the grim dark aspects of it really did chill me on the game. Uh, like to like it definitely curtailed my time with, with time with the game because like the more I looked at it, the more I saw things that just made me question its worldview in some ways. Like, and it's it's weird because I like I love like I love grimdark bullshit. I'm I'm here for that. Like <laughs> I like I'll read everything by like Joe Abercrombie, uh, for instance, and like that goes some very dark and ugly places pretty pretty routinely as a matter of course, uh, but. I think there's sort of a thoughtlessness in Battle Brothers that that uh, I found increasingly grating. Uh, whereas in a lot of your better works of Grimdark, it's a little more self-aware, right? Like it's like the 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 perspective of the piece is aware of just how shitty and corrupt and venal this world is, and the way its iniquities are kind of exaggerated uh, versions of our own. Whereas Battle Brothers uh, just kind of did like had this sort of more thoughtless aspect of it that was like, yeah, it's just tough out there, man. That's why you need your mercenary company uh, and your crew of badasses, the only people that matter, which. I did, I wasn't I wasn't really here for that. Uh but that being said, my god, do I wish uh there were more games like Battle Brothers uh that blended a meta campaign as well as a meta campaign with a with a tactical layer as well as Battle Brothers does. Um, I mean the 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 tactical management game, I I remembered my term yeah. or Tacman. Uh <laughs> Okay, well, we'll see if that one sticks. Yeah, you don't have Tacman fever. Uh the it's it's built for mercenaries. Like there's nothing potentially better than a mercenary company for the idea that you have, you know, a shoestring budget and a group of increasingly powerful uh soldiers or units or whatever. Uh this is why I think we're all looking forward to battle tackle. Hell lot, yeah. Because that's seemingly yeah. designed around that but you know in terms of the tone there seems to be a thing where like you know all those really annoying people who jump into any conversation about game of thrones are like well oh it's the medieval era. it's oh just like God. that yeah <laughs> like it, it seems like there is a group of p- 
people who think that just because something is set in the medieval era, it's, you know, licensed to be as brutal and sexist and whatever as you possibly can. And it's like, no, something like Game of Thrones has a meaning there. It's, yeah. it's trying to critique, you know, feudalism and patriarchy. It's not always succeeding. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's the criticism that is worthwhile, but it's not, it's not a playground for you to live out your fantasies of being as nasty as you possibly can. Like there, there was, there is a societal structure still here. Historians will tell you this. It's, <laughs> right. uh, and there seem to be a lot of especially european game developers who go in with this idea like you see it with the older witcher games witcher 3 mostly gets away from it though there's still a few bad moments um but uh there's a legends of isenwald Eichenwald yeah. game a few years ago that i reviewed that was just like we're going to you know have a guy who's a serial uh uh wife beater that's on your side and it's just played off as a joke because that's the way medieval times were uh it's just like come on guys just put a little bit more thought into this um but yeah it, it's it's the biggest black mark on the game beyond simply it's it uh it's budget pretty much but it's uh it's still a game that i had a blast with most of the time yeah and the fact that it forces you to change up your tactics uh, against a lot of it, it's better on this than than XCOM is, as a matter of fact. Like yeah. XCOM enemies, like yeah, they all do different things, but like it's rare you actually like you you, you still want to stick to your to your game plan that you use pretty much in every battle, right? Like the same formation, same positioning, uh, same order of operations. Uh, I like in this one where if it's like no, it's here come the skeleton men. Uh, that is a different battle than if you're against those. Uh, messed up little vampire cannibal things um yeah sometimes you want like a full army of people beating down whatever and sometimes you need just your elite units uh in like a defensive square yeah and that's pretty neat yeah so no i really admire the uh the the tactical layer there um uh yeah this is also i think the war of the chosen does is that it the chosen do break up your tactics depending on the traits that they have. Very much so. Uh, the, especially if they have ones where, like, they get. If you're used to putting everyone behind high cover and using Overwatch, and yeah, yep. you get one who, like, every missed shot gives them a shield, you don't want to do that. Yeah, no, that, that fucked my shit right up. Because I'm that guy. I'm that guy who's just like, everybody on Overwatch, and we're going to move one guy forward, all right? And we're going to move the next guy forward. And the, uh, yeah, the assassin one just, you know, in a good way, completely made me rethink how I play that I game. I think the assassin is the strongest of the chosen. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. in terms of how they, the sniper guy I never had much problems with. No. Uh, the warlock, uh, with the mind control powers was super hit or miss. Like, when that character worked, yeah. damn, did that character work. Uh, I saw some, I saw some bad shit happen in War of the Chosen, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> like there are some things that are going to be that are going to be haunting me uh, in that game for quite some time. Um, did uh, yeah, did just, I go on? I was going to say, did to kind of wrap up Year in Paradox. Did either of you guys play? I know we don't have Sean Sands here this this time. Did either of you guys play much of you for this year? Because it got no. three expansions <laughs> that you know didn't get a lot of buzz. Um, but I, I wanted to, to at least bring it up because I feel like what they're doing, particularly with Mandate of Heaven, with Cradle of Civilization, 
that I think is a very positive trend for EU4 is that they're kind of taking this idea that if you look at Europe in 1444, there's kind of a narrative going on with, you know, the Hundred Years' War is, you know, kind of in a, a little bit of a It was a all lull. grimdark. That's just how it uh, was. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it was all grimdark. That, yeah, it was terrible. Um, you've got the, the Holy Roman Empire and, like, these electors vying for power. And they're kind of trying to extend that sense of a regional narrative to other parts of the world. Oh, um, that is interesting. Yeah, they're doing it with China with, you know, you know, can't is the Ming going to hold on to the mandate or is someone else going to take it? Cradle of Civilization did it with the Timurids, where there's a lot of these events um, relating to Shah Rukh. And if you play as one of the Timurid vassals, you can, like, invite a Timurid prince to your court and eventually take on the mantle of the Timurid Empire once the main branch of the family has kind of gone into decline. And I really like that they're doing that. And they, they've even added um, sort of this little pop-up at the beginning of the game that gives you a brief synopsis of what's going on in the part of the world that you're playing um before you even hit go and um that plus how they're kind of trying to turn every government type into like a fully fleshed out government type you know the way that they i think it kind of started when they introduced like the prussian monarchy now every government is is working towards having like buttons they can push and stuff oh man but see um, that but i get a little scared when i hear that like because <laughs> it like i already felt like i was struggling to really get on board with like things like the estates for instance but the estates uh, are still bad the estates are still are, but are, they're in there now <laughs> they're in there they're everything part of is four. everything is better than the estates don't worry about that <laughs> It's, I mean, they they are still there, but like all. all I mean, of this these is the are, weird thing. This is like why I'm looking forward to an EU five, right? It's like, okay, look, <laughs> we know some of this stuff didn't really work, so we're just it's gone. The states didn't like them, just dead. We burned them, killed them all. <laughs> it's it's a working yeah. paradise now, brothers. <laughs> uh, no, it's I I do need to set some time uh, aside for like, yeah, we should do an EU check in, or, or yeah. at least I need to send you and Sean off to to have a play date. Oh yeah, um, we'll we'll have a grand old time. The other the other thing that Mandate of Heaven did is it 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 creates these ages where you there are like now four ages, enlightenment and exploration and stuff like that. And uh you can also turn those into golden ages, but even if you don't, you still have the chance to like give yourself little buffs. Mm -hmm. Um so it adds more of uh the kind of ebb and flow of I have a stronger empire versus I have a weaker empire that's like really what the eu4 has done well throughout its although um, those those objectives a lot of them are still super region specific like if you if yeah. you start out as like congo you're never gonna get any of the age objectives done like good good luck uh i, I really yeah. like if they would add some more that are globally relevant yeah they, they they could use some tweaking but i think for sort of the general normal play of eu4 they, they did a good job in kind of having me focus on specific kind of medium term goals uh that i might not have otherwise uh and they, they sort of got me out of my fog of default play um and uh the other thing is apart from that some of them can't do it like i i like the way that the the game has gone despite its title of trying to 
kind of simulate the world in a way that doesn't necessarily just say that Europe is the only place that matters anymore. <laughs> it's it, it definitely uh, the emphasis has shifted toward the Universalis than than the Europa. Yes, uh, but yeah, it's it has been heartening. Well, and also it's it's smart because there's only so many times you can retell the story of the collapse of the Holy Roman Empire. Um, yeah, I definitely I definitely want do want to get back into that. Although it sounds like. You know, it's just a lot of times these uh, these new updates often feel a bit fussy in their execution uh, because they're sort of bolted onto uh, a lot of existing systems and UI. Uh, and so I think that's genuinely like a huge part of a hurdle for me getting back into these games tends to be that uh, that increasing feeling that you're dealing with a sort of Frankenstein's monster of a uh, of a game. I, I think they've gotten better at it since, particularly the estates. You know. Yeah, it seems we're, like we're around, all with you on the estates. Around the time of like the Cossacks and Mary Nostrum was like the height of that, and they've kind of gotten better now. About, I mean, they're going to give you like, I, I have some Russia buttons now if I'm playing yeah. as Russia, and I don't have to press them, but they're there. Um, I can forget Are about you... them and just enjoy the patch features was that, a, was that a trump twitter gag there tj it's that it's, that's uh, that not was, how we're trying to get 2018 started i hey i i you know there there's been a lot of talk about buttons lately mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. that that's not specifically what i was going for but i realized i played into a cultural narrative <laughs> no that's no i, uh, I apologize so, i should not have yeah. injected that here uh so no, no, no. no you you've got no, your Russian buttons and you can press them or you can <laughs> Uh, yeah, go the Nars the no, work. No That's the yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. So, just a small shout out here. Uh, I really did like uh, Expeditions Vikings. I think it was Me it too. was a lot of fun. It is limited uh, in terms of like its tactical game, which is a problem because you're going to be fighting a lot of fucking battles uh, in Expeditions Vikings, um, and they do tend to get a little bit samey. That being said, uh, I really do uh, just enjoy the hell out of that game and its uh, and its world. It's one of the best. I mean, and as as a connoisseur of Viking games, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it's one of the best uh, games in terms of the little things it does to portray the reality of the sort of you know early medieval Norse world in terms of like you know it's. It's a lot more about like blood feuds and family politics than it is about, you know, going out and raiding. But then they also kind of model the prestige based political system that the Vikings had where like this guy didn't really do anything wrong. If I was being a good person, I'd let him go. But I kind of have to kill him because I have to seem like a strong Jarl, like to keep my realm together. Um, I really liked those those little touches of kind of culturally informed decision making and the idea that you're not going out on raids just for the hell of it you're actually doing it to bring stuff back to build up your realm and kind of do what you know the great sea kings of the viking age did historically and establish a strong territorial kingdom in your homeland um yeah i think it's actually one of the better like if i did a list of top 10 viking games this would probably land on there. Um, the fact that you have even not though, done this list is actually kind of disappointing. <laughs> it is. It is. I, I've been talking about doing it for a long time. The, the tactical battles were probably my least favorite part 
actually, yeah. but uh, I ended up really liking the game overall for for uh, the reasons just uh, discussed. And there is there is something really cool about like the fact they make they manage to make moments as cliche as like the Vikings landing in England, feeling yeah. like an alien freaking world. Uh, you just yeah. stepped into, even though you like you know this story, you you've you, you know the story well, and you've read it from the other side. You know what world they're stepping into, and it still feels like weird and off because it's it's so effectively sort of situated you in the context of the Vikings uh, that when you get to the really kind of low rent <laughs> low rent court politics <laughs> of England. Yeah. Uh it's it's really something else. Uh but yeah, it's it's just enjoyable. Um any on this list that merits further study like uh or or further discussion like uh you know did Dawn of War 3 make much of an impression on anyone here? Uh no, <laughs> I man, I wanted to like that experiment they did much more than I actually ended up yeah. enjoying it. Yeah, it's like my it's one of my least favorite relic games, which doesn't mean it was terrible, but I don't know. I'm a Dawn of War two guy. I kind of think that oh, I, okay. I really liked the Dawn of War two model of like because if you read the lore no. for Warhammer forty. <laughs> No, a single squad of space marines should be able to take a planet. Uh, A single squad of space marines is all you need to usually take a planet. Except in the lore, that's never enough to take a planet. Like, if literally any other (laughs) faction is there, it's far from sufficient to take the planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, No, the the only person who's sufficient to take a planet is Caiaphas Cain. No, I, I think Dawn of War 3... I think, like, it feels a little bit like somewhere along the line here, Relic have started to either lose confidence in the RTS, uh, the traditional RTS model, or are just so experimental uh, that they're they're willing to just go off in, in some truly odd directions. But where it ends up feeling like with where, where Dawn of War 3 ends up landing for me uh, is just kind of uncomfortable. Um, it doesn't it. You have some you have some massive units that sort of suggest the scale of uh, the the 40k universe, and yet I still found the maps often like felt really confining. Uh, it just I, I think I have wanted Dawn of War to feel like Dawn of War one basically since that first game. Uh, I think that had the sort of best mix of feeling like small squad tactics and then like 40k flavor. And here, it felt like I was playing two games sort of slammed together side by side, and I never really felt comfortable with either one of them. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 it was a game I found interesting. I wanted to like it much more than I than I did. I think it's worth looking at if if you are interested in sort of the direction the RTS is or is not moving. Uh, but it didn't land. I felt like uh, it was kind of trying to create a sort of pure RTS. Like, it, it seemed like, oh, you guys didn't like the squad-based, uh, low-level tactical uh, 
work of uh, Dawn of War 2, here is the absolute purest base building and assault stuff that you can, we can make for you. This is just, it, it's just that. It's nothing but that. And, uh, no, I, I'm with TJ. I, I like the, the squad-based tactical stuff of Dawn of War 2. Uh, so, at a personal level, it was just not necessarily well- aimed at me. Um, the other thing that I think is probably worth noting is that the campaign was not very well put together. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I'm not sure there was a single mission in it where you had like allies. Uh, it was always just like 1v1 or 1v1, then another Frequently one. down an alley. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, um, I, I really like a lot of the presentation of the game. Uh, like, especially the way that like when you're getting your orc walk together, they, you know, the music pounds and everything goes and you're, like, ready to go. Uh, like, all of that stuff seemed to be working, but it just did not quite have the level design that I was hoping for as a single player. And then uh, the multiplayer was not the sort of multiplayer that I really like. So, You know what I really want is I want a really pathos-laden, Imperial Guard-focused campaign of, like, yes. fighting against hopeless... Let's get away from the superhero space marines. I don't know if you're joking, but I'm not. No, I'm not joking at all. Like, let's get away from the superhero space marines for a lot. Let's have, like, the boys in the trenches who are going up against shit that is way out of their league, and, you know, Jenkins is going to get ripped in half by a Necron, and that, you know, it's it's going to be horrible. This, um, this is kind of the cool thing about, like... What I like about sort of at least the Imperium in in 40k is that like yes, literally you're in a world that has like okay, uh, generals from a past generation have all sold their souls to Satan and have become basically <laughs> like gods, and they are fought by legions of angels slash demigods that were created by your immortal emperor. Okay, okay, but in the meantime. The level you're at, you're basically like a World War II like squad of conscripts. Right. Yeah. And like that juxtaposition is really, really cool. And 40K, I think, tends to focus overwhelmingly on um the Space Marine is the star of 40K, which I understand yeah. why it's a recognizable icon. Uh, but yeah, I think the most inter- the, the things that make that universe interesting are where the small and human scale intersect with the uh, divine and galactic. Yeah. Well, they like Relic has proven they can do this before with, you know, the Company of Heroes 2 Soviet campaign. Like, I'd like to see that blown up to absurd proportions where you're just you're throwing guardsmen at a problem to, you know, try to stem the tide of, you know, this clusterfuck situation you've been put into. I'd real I'd much rather play that than to play another heroic Space Marines come in to save the day campaign. Especially because as these campaigns get more and more lackluster, it feels less and less heroic, right? Yeah. Like it's literally, uh, you now you take your two or three squads of space marines and your hero unit uh, through this series of S curve switchbacks, uh, encountering <laughs> uh, lightly fortified barricades at every turn. Like that just doesn't feel that doesn't feel epic. Um, it's 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 become a really pro- real problem. A problem we might not see Relic revisit uh, for some time um, given that they are now on the new Age of Empires game. Yeah. Uh, which I'm very curious to see uh, what what becomes of that project. Um, 
game we didn't talk about, and I think we might be talking about it relatively soonish on this show, but uh, Divinity Original Sin 2. Uh, Fraser, well, Fraser's not here, uh, but he was, he and I were talking a few weeks ago, and he was saying it was one of his favorite, uh, you know, tactical uh, strategy experiences of the year, uh, which is funny because it's an RPG. Uh, so what's the case for why should, why should three, why should three moves ahead, uh, be, be concerned with Divinity Original Sin 2? Well, I put it on the list because my general take is that if Mario and Rabbids is a strategy game, which given all the awards for strategy game of the year that it is, that it's gotten, uh, Divinity Original Sin is as well because they're both basically rpgs with a relatively small party and like it doesn't have a massive strategic overlay uh that you take through a series of battles in a narrative uh with an extremely intricate tactical system so i think you know if one counts the other does and i'm all in favor of us taking our uh our god i forgot the word uh, taking our mission statement and making it as broad as possible. Uh, I haven't actually played Divinity Original Sin 2 all that much, but I would be entirely willing to talk about it Yeah, at well, some point. Your country may call on you to do that uh, very <laughs> soon. Uh, I suspect I will not get around to that game by the time we do a show on it, especially because, like, how could I... How could I possibly talk about Original Sin 2 if I haven't even uh, played the original Original Sin <laughs> uh, so, I, I don't um, think that's actually necessary in this case, but I'm not sure that matters even still because Original Sin Two is apparently massive. Yeah, it does seem it does seem pretty big, but it's uh, all right. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to to hear about it, especially because I I have heard so, some interesting. Um, so you haven't played you haven't played either of them at all. No. Okay, then I should probably talk about why specifically it's intricate tactics because the yeah. Uh, so it's got a turn-based system with parties, a party of four characters against, you know, however many enemies. Um, the It's got kind of an old-fashioned, you know, original XCOM style. You have 12 action points or whatever, and something's cost six, and something's cost eight, and something's cost two. And, uh, you know, it's got a very uh, granular uh uh, decision-making process in that way like if you leave two of your uh, movement points up then you'll get two more next turn so you can cast two huge spells or whatever so you have that aspect of it but i think the thing that really makes it uh feel interesting and fresh is that you have a bunch of elemental and spell interactions where you can do things like you know you see the enemies are next to a barrel of oil. You have your archer shoot the barrel of oil so it spills. Then you cast fire on the oil and it burns, but then you need to cross it so you can cast a spell that rains on the oil. You're doing all these things where you're having these okay. interactions between uh, these very... Uh, there's a lot of them. Uh, these interactions between different environmental effects and objects in the environment within a straightforward you know hardcore tactical turn-based system uh so that yeah there's a, there's a lot going on and it's within an rpg framework but it's the sort of thing that like you would hope for in a tactical system and the the new XComs have gone away from you know they're 
they're more interested right. in just like the shooting and the hitting, uh, where this is all about the environment and all about the the sort of very narrow decisions that you make. And that's probably better for an RPG than it is for a tactics game where you've got, you know, you're going to be fighting these similar battles dozens of times where Divinity Original Sin, you're fighting these sort of unique designed battles each time, uh, but in different ways. So yeah. it's... The the epiphany I just had about the Divinity RPGs is it's, it's almost like they're trying to bring back a little bit of, like, the old-school like text-based adventure game logic of like use thing on thing or like usability huh, yeah. on thing and there's like a lot of ways you can create solutions by doing that um, yeah it's it's sort of like the new zelda too you yeah know, the, the yeah idea you, very you much chop similar. down a tree next uh-huh. to a river and the tree makes a bridge yeah and i i kind of i bounced off of the first one but based on i've had a long conversation with richard cobbett actually from pc gamer about the second one and he says that he thinks that that the second would be way more up my alley, so I might try to squeeze some of that in um, in the near future here. It also, in addition to all that tactic stuff, adopts like a an Ultima-style, you know, interact with everything outside of combat with a modern kind of party-based, morality-based decision-making system. I always Ultima-style RPG kind of exhausting, if I'm being honest. It it is kind of exhausting, but I think they've managed to figure out like a a good balance. Uh, yeah, but I I can't say for sure with the second one. The first one had a lot of promise that uh, had a story structure that kind of let it down. Where uh, everything like everything interesting was in this first town zone, and then it sent you to like three more zones after that. So I'm not sure anyone ever actually finished it because <laughs> like. It's like this. These first thirty hours are, you know, really, really emotionally set up in a way where once you finish, there's not much motivating you to go forward. Uh, but the second one, I would like to get to at some point because I know they know that that was an issue. Um, All right. Uh, so I think we might leave 2017 right there. Um, um, I, I no? have a couple more things to say. You have a couple more things. We haven't talked about the Log War 2 yet. I knew we Bro, weren't going to end before he got a I chance to, to talk about that. <laughs> I, I put like 300 hours into that fucker. Like, I mean, I don't know. We talked about it a lot on the XCOM 2 show, so I don't have too much more to add. But this is the, the big mod for XCOM 2 before War of the Chosen to make it more of a war game and less of a you know RPG tactics game. You've got, you know, dozens of characters in different squads going on like specific resistance things and it had it really leans into the idea of you're the resistance leader and you're having to decide on which missions you are absolutely necessary and which ones you have to call off and uh it doesn't quite fully function with the XCOM 2 interface which if it did I think it would easily be my game of the year but uh I still probably liked it even more than more of the chosen uh in large part because I think it's got a way better class system. I just don't really like XCOM 2's yeah. four classes that much. And I do like Log War 2's eight classes. So, uh, it, as someone who thought that the original XCOM was pretty damn close to perfect and I didn't really get into Long War for XCOM 1, do you think I would like Long War for XCOM 2 better? 
in my view, original XCOM is nineteen ninety four. Okay. Well, original uh, the, the original Firaxis XCOM game. Yes. <laughs> For I am I am first Babby. XCOM. We must no remember iPhone. that I am Babby. Yes. Uh, iPhones. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay, this show is almost done, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it. I think if you want the idea of being the resistance leader, like like I said, you you're you divide your groups your 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 squaddies into like three four different squads and you have them like sent into the wilderness for a week and then maybe you still are able to pull off that mission and maybe you've decided that it's too much like that those sorts of decisions if you think are missing from XCOM 2 uh that's the kind of thing you want also if you just want like bigger battles you know one of the main things about the long war is that it's uh it gets you much larger squad sizes right off the bat like you can have up to 10 uh maybe even 12 characters but it depends on like uh how the mission is set up whether you want to take that many into into battle uh so yeah it if you want like the the bigger scope uh or you want that resistance leader ideal um okay or the, if you just want XCOM 2 remixed in a different way because XCOM 2 has the best tactic system around. Gotcha. Except maybe Divinity Original Sin. It's just such a bummer that it's not going to integrate any of the War of the Chosen stuff, though. Yeah. I, I don't want to choose between those two. <laughs> uh, well, I mean... I want one big, beautiful XCOM omnibus experience, Rowan. I, I, I kind of understand where you're going with that, but... It does. I would like them to integrate a lot of the War of the Chosen ideas and options, but uh, I sort of like the idea of War of the Chosen as a modern Firaxis, high quality uh, narrative experience. Whereas Long War is, you know, I'm going to just, you know, bear down into the system specifically. and I'm not sure that they would combine that easily. Um, maybe they would. Uh, but regardless, I think it would be cool to see what the designers of Long War 2 would have done with stuff like the uh, Resistance factions. Uh, but I guess we're not going to see that. Any other uh, little shout-outs you wanted to throw out there? Um, do we want to mention the early access games? <sighs> Tiny Metal's kind of boring. I re- I reviewed it. It's I just bought their billions, but I suspect we might end up doing a show on that at some point. Yeah, I played a little of it and was not initially impressed, uh, but it appears that it's an extremely popular game. So we're probably going to do a show on it anyway, and maybe I will play a little bit more of it and see if I get more impressed. But uh, or maybe R- Rowan can tell everyone why that thing you're into sucks. I. <laughs> I am that's, very that's much the, in favor of that at all points. The other service we offer here on Three Moves Ahead. Hey, you guys like space games? <laughs> Fuck off! <laughs> uh, but the one, the main one that I would want to mention is Oxygen Not Included, which is an extremely promising survival strategy game. Uh, we talked about it a lot on the survival strategy show we did over the summer, and it seems to be getting some nice, uh, 
nice patches to add interesting ideas. I think they added disease and transport tubes, which is are Ooh. different sorts of things than survival strategy normally does. So I, I, I like where this is going. Uh, it's it's one of my most anticipated or most most promising 2018 games, along with games that aren't out in any way. Yeah, I put a lot of time into Don't Starve, so I'm I'm looking forward to trying that as well. All right, and I think on that note, we can consign 2017 to the past and turn our gaze toward the future. Uh, Three Was Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the idol... Damn it, I forgot something. <laughs> okay. So apparently, Michael put in a request before we recorded the show. It's that apparently... Uh, there was a brief argument about, look, I'm not one of those like pepperoni, like uh, the, the, one of those uh, pineapple doesn't go <laughs> oh, on pizza shit. people. I'm fine with that. That's a tired debate. It's a fine topping. Make your pizza however you want it. I just find pineapple and pepperoni a slightly odd combination to put on a pizza. I just don't, I don't see it. I don't, I don't completely get it. Uh, nevertheless, um, Michael took umbrage. Uh, at, at at that effect, <laughs> at that at, at that uh, disagreement, and apparently threw a poll out on Twitter, and uh, a lot of you are aggressively pro pineapple uh, on on the Three of Head Twitter. So, uh, wait, wait, was the poll for pineapple and pepperoni? Was no, the see, poll this just is for the pineapple? thing, right? Like, so this is he definitely like could, he definitely rigged <laughs> that election a little bit, like it, yeah. This is this is kind of what I'm saying. Like, I have no problem with pineapple on a pizza, but kind of what it, what it is on the pizza with that that question matters. Like, like pineapple isn't just a guest at every party. Um. So yeah, I, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Michael played his hand very well, uh, and uh, so he just requested that uh, that I, that I acknowledge that pineapple. On pizza is his strategy game of the year. Uh, so, uh, anyway, that's what he gets up to sometimes behind the scenes, uh, in between producing episodes of this fine podcast hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at 3MsAhead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Uh, finally, 3MsAhead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Uh, thank you so much for joining us throughout uh, 2017, and we look forward to covering a lot of uh, great games, great new games, and great old games on Switch uh, for you in in, 20, <laughs> in 2018. Uh, but until then, uh, for Rowan and TJ, this is Rob Zachney saying good night. <laughs>